You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, happy Saturday. Welcome back into the Arrowhead Pride Best of the Week podcast. I'm host and audio producer of the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, Stephen Serta. Hope you guys didn't miss us too much last week. I was on vacation, but I'm back. I'm well rested. I am ready for Chiefs training camp. We are just a little over a week away from the start of camp. Rookies report this upcoming Friday. Veterans will report after the weekend. This week, we're going to start off with Out of Structure. They had a massive Chiefs mailbag answering all your guys' questions as we get closer and closer to training camp. That's going to be followed up by Show and BK. Brandon Kylie was out this week on vacation, so it was just myself and Ron, the show, Hughley, discussing that Orlando Brown contract ahead of the Friday deadline to sign a long-term deal. After that, we're going to take a quick time out. When we get back, you guys will hear from myself chatting with Will Harris the Georgia Southern defensive coordinator and secondary coach. He was the former college coach of Chiefs' new cornerback, Trent McDuffie. We wanted to get to know the Chiefs' new cornerback a little bit from the guy that coached him all throughout his collegiate career. That's all coming up on today's Best of the Week. Well, continuing this trend of youth and upside and breakouts, aim down sights on Twitter, Who do you think the returning chief who is most likely to have a breakout year? He throws out a couple of candidates here. Um, Juan, McColl, Tyreek being gone with, with, you know, McColl could break out there. Uh, Clyde and then uh, uh, Legereus Sneed. Of those or of the rest of the roster, do you have a guy earmarked as your your breakout candidate this season? Yeah, and it's obviously important to define breakout uh, for each of these players, right? Because these are all guys that have done a certain level of success in the NFL, all the guys he's mentioned and, and guys that are possible answers for this. But when you talk about most likely, I I really am on the luxurious need trade, man. I, I, I think he is a really good player that um, has become underrated a little bit um, just because maybe he's kind of a He's kind of not a traditional type of player for what he plays, uh, what position he plays. He, you know, he's a cornerback, but, you know, he kind of has more of a strong safety mindset, you know, how he plays. You know, he, he almost looks like an outside linebacker at times, you know, playing that slot position. But I really think this year it could be the year he breaks out and, and really becomes a, a, a league-wide name in terms of being a possible Pro Bowl pick at, at cornerback. Or, and, and I'll get into this a little later, too, with some of the other questions we have, but you know, maybe he's more of a versatile option than than even we know now at the slot and cornerback. Maybe maybe we see some of that safety skills uh, from Louisiana Tech um, come back uh, to be utilized by Spags with the secondary that has a lot of moving pieces and a lot of new faces. And you know, to to kind of make up for maybe what we could see as a diminishing pass pass rush, or you know, hopefully not, but you know, not as good a pass rush. You know, something that could make up for that is being really creative and really, you know, uh, playmaking in the secondary. And and Sneed could be the leader of that. And, I, and he's such a playmaker, man. I'm 
really excited to see, you know, him, him maybe be used more, trusted more to be that, that, that primary playmaker for the defense this year. Yeah, I think all of these are intriguing candidates for different reasons, but you're right. The definition of breakout is going to really vary depending on which guy you're yeah. talking about. And McCullough's on this list. He'd probably be of this group, the one that I think is, is pretty likely to take a jump. Uh, just because they finally found a good role for him. We, we've we said the same things about McColl over and over again, but they found a good role for him. He's going to have a lot of Tyreek's job available. So a lot of what Tyreek did is going to be available to McColl to capitalize on. And he, of the group of returning receivers or of, of the group of 2022 receivers, he looks a little unique from the rest of them. You know, there, there's a yeah, profile yeah. of the of the new Chiefs receiving core, and, and it's and McColl is not necessarily that guy. So it just makes you think that you know, is there some redundancy between uh, Juju Smith-Schuster and and uh, MVS? Um, you know, are those guys sort of competing for the same snaps or for the same catches along with Jody Fortson and Travis Kelsey and you know all these other guys? But there's really only one you know, gadget type player. There's only one guy who, who's going to run some of the uh, the pure speed stuff that Tyreek had. And for all the talk about Tyreek Hill being this elite deep threat, which he obviously has been throughout his career, 2021 was not a year for Tyreek uh, catching deep passes. He made a lot of yards out of short stuff. Um, and and they were not very efficient going deep to him, and they, and they didn't do it nearly as much as they would have in previous years. So when we talk about replacing his role, you're talking about replacing a lot of the stuff that McColl does well, wide receiver screens, little quick slants, the, uh, uh, you know, the backfield kind of stuff. McColl can do all of that mm-hmm. at a pretty high level in a way that's unique, I think, in this receiving group. So you know, maybe he, he breaks out. And goes from six, seven hundred yards to nine hundred or a thousand, maybe. You know, mm-hmm. on, as as far as upside goes, I'd call that a breakout. I think because it kind of puts you on the radar. If you're a thousand yard receiver, then that's that's something that's on your resume, that's on your radar. I don't know if that's if that's a huge jump from where he is now, but but I can call that a breakout. No, I, I'm with you. I think that'd be a breakout. I think a thousand yards. That's a Significant number, um, even if, you know, you got the 17th game and the passing game now is so, so uh, wide open today. It's still a significant number as a wide receiver. It's a career milestone, right? And I, and I do think that would, especially going into a, an offseason where he's negotiating for a contract, and I think that 1,000 number would be super important for him. So I do think you can call that a breakout. Um, and, yeah, no, I, I do think you, you make good points about um, him. And we talk about most likely, uh, you know, McColl does have the role in terms of like in terms of the other players. He has that position where like the guy that he that was kind of making him, you know, maybe not be able to break out, you could say in theory, is gone. You, you, you see some of these other players, Snead didn't really have any, you know, you maybe could say Matthew, but Snead didn't have anyone blocking him from breaking out, you know, or being the, the guy he could be, like I'm projecting him to be. Uh, you know, Juan, you could even say, you know, now they have Justin Reed in, like he's still kind of clogging up Juan's ability to maybe take a, a, a second set. McColl's, McColl's role is there. They, they they got him. At least it's no longer Sorensen clogging up Thornhill's <laughs> ability. <laughs> to yeah, play. yeah, I know. You can stomach it a little more when it's uh, Justin Reed or maybe even a Brian Cook, uh, maybe. But, uh, but yeah, no, yeah. I think McColl definitely has that bigger, that window right over maybe some of these other guys. Yeah, I want to say Clyde. I really do just because, I, I think he's so much better than than the 
credit he's been given right now when he's on the field. But, you know, running backs are going to miss time and and they're going to split carries. And, and this team's yeah. going to carry, you know, potentially four running backs, any of whom you could see them giving the ball to. And so I, I just think the workload is going to be shared so much amongst the running backs. It's going to be hard for any of them to have a, a monster year. Clyde's already got an 1,100 yard total yard season right. under his belt. So for him to break out, you're talking 1,500 yards or more, I would say, total yeah. yards. And that's going to take a pretty concerted effort to to have him be the guy for the entire season uh, to make that happen. And he's going to have to stay healthy. So it's a little tough to put him in that category. Yeah, I'd actually say it's, it's probably like or not likely, but it, you can see how Clyde could have a really good year and have a really productive year and be a big part of the offense and maybe not be a break, have a breakout season, still kind of just have a, a similarly paced season. He just maybe doesn't get hurt and, and kind of gets into a rhythm more this year, you know? By the way, I also think there's some candidates that are not returning Chiefs. I know that was the question here is what returning Chiefs are going to break out. There's a few candidates that they brought in that are young players that have not yet hit their full potential. We just mentioned two of them, Justin Reed and MVS. I think both of those guys could reach levels in their career that they have not done before, and they're going to have every opportunity to do so here. And, And really being handed the reins in a lot of ways, uh, those two guys are potentially the number one receiver and the number one uh, defensive back, like the leader in that room. Um, those guys are going to have every opportunity to shine. And I really think, at least from a physical tool standpoint, from a from makeup standpoint and from a role, both of those guys could have absolute career years this year. Yeah, I know Justin Reed, uh, you know, I – you you see how he played with the Texans. He's a lot of he's he's a very uh, a free safety a lot I should say you know primarily a free safety deep safety. Um, that's what he really excelled at, and and he was you know he wasn't maybe as close to the line of scrimmage maybe as much as the Chiefs may try to use him here right. He may be trying to take that career leap forward where he becomes more of a versatile player. I mean he was you know versatile to an extent. All you know he's he's a good player. He's just a good overall player. Um, but I really think, you know, with Spagnolo's creativity, with the way he likes to do things, you know, maybe Reed is is kind of in line to take that that career step forward. And 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 so, um, you know, I, I think he's absolutely in that position. So, yeah, I, I like that. No, and MBS is obviously I, I'm excited to see MBS, man. He's he, mm-hmm. him and Mahomes apparently are, are building something. And, you know, he's the guy that was behind Devontae Adams for a, a lot of years. And, you know, maybe kind of getting out of that shadow might be able to make it help him break out, too. And it's ironic that people downplay MVS because he was just a deep threat. And yet in the same breath, they're saying, how do we replace the deep threat that was Tyreek Hill, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it's it, it's going to be interesting, but like he, the way he tracks the ball and his size with a, in combination with his speed, I think make him, uh, you know, a candidate to continue doing what he was doing before as a, as a deep threat. And obviously, they're going to give him more of a well-rounded uh, route tree here, but he can bring that that deep play ability in a different way that Tyreek did it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But maybe just as well or better. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Well, what kind of questions we got? Because I know you got the order, and uh, and uh, <laughs> I'm we're mixing up the order on me. You know, I don't even know you where bet. we're going to next. Hey, I, I got Tyler at play action underscore twenty one. Talking about the ideal Chiefs cornerback situation, um, would it be or should it be 
Sneed, McDuffie on the outside, and then Nick will bring in Lonnie Johnson, Fenton, and slide McDuffie inside. Otherwise, how nervous should we Chiefs fans be about how they would line up against some of the bigger receivers in the division? Uh, he mentions Devontae Adams, Corlin Sutton, Tim Patrick, Mike Williams, etc. on the outside. So what do you think the ideal corner rotation is for this team as it's currently constructed? Man, this is an interesting point when you bring in the AFC West receivers that they'll have to be facing. You know, there are some big bodies and, you know, guys like Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert and Derek Carr. You know, lately Derek Carr has really gotten his deep ball or more willingness to throw the deep ball um, and, and kind of test test downfield. You know, all three of those quarterbacks are going to test those corners downfield against guys that can really go up and get it. And man, you know, McDuffie, we all know, isn't isn't the biggest guy. You know, Fenton plays very physical. You got to give him credit for how he plays, and and he plays like a bigger corner. But he's not a bit. He's not a very big corner. But I do trust Fenton in a lot of the situations uh, quite a bit. And so this is where it's kind of almost a dilemma with Snead. He is the biggest corner, the most physical corner on this team. But yeah, when you're in the nickel and you're in the nickel about seventy percent of the time, if he's going to be your slot guy. You're not going to be maybe facing, you know, and, and having, you know, have Snead in those situations of downfield, you know, contested ball situations on the outside. That's going to be where McDuffie and Fenton are playing against, again, Tim Patrick, Cortland Sutton, these huge bodies, Mike Williams. It is interesting, man. I mean, it, it, you know, I, I think that's what they're going to see. I think that is what you're going to see in terms of, uh, you know, yeah, Fenton. I think Fenton will be ready for training camp. He's going to earn that CB3 spot. I don't think Lonnie Johnson is a better cornerback than him. And, and the ex- experience, too, helps Fenton. But all that to say is, yeah, I think that's going to be the lineup, what he meant, what he laid out, you know, uh, with, with Snead being in the slot. We already talked about that. And that might be a, a place where the Chiefs defense might really have to think about, uh, you know, trying to, you know, cover their asses a little bit, you know. Uh, that, that could be a way. We saw it last year at times against the Bengals. Uh, and, and it could be a reoccurring theme this year with a rookie cornerback who, you know, we're, we have – I think he has, you know, a high future, high ceiling, but – you know, it's, it's going to be hard, you know, in this division right away to, to be able to, you know, play perfectly and not give up some big plays to some of these big play threats. Now, I will say that the question here from Tyler, he talks about McDuffie being the guy that slides in, leaving Snead outside along with somebody like Lonnie Johnson or Rashad Fenton. Um, so that scenario is, is not out of the realm of possibilities. I did hear Nate Taylor of The Athletic talk about how he believes – the team's plan is to have Rashad Fenton and McDuffie be the outside starter and have Snead be able to, to play the nickel and kind of roam around a little bit, be a little bit more of a chess piece. And, and I think to me, that is a, a really good scenario. Um, I don't know what to do with Lonnie Johnson on this roster. I, I don't know where he fits or where they use him. Maybe he is a situational guy that plays against big receivers only. Uh, maybe there's a, you know, maybe there's a role there that we're not thinking about, but, you know, I think expect big roles for Fenton and and obviously Snead and McDuffie being probably your two best corners, even if your outside starters um, are are Fenton and McDuffie. It doesn't mean Snead isn't one of your best corners. It just means that his skill set allows him to roam around and do other stuff. So that, that alignment to me makes a lot of sense. Well, yeah, and, and maybe it is a situational thing. Maybe they go, hey, you know, in certain situations, we're not just going to put McDuffie on Devontae Adams, you know, on the outside and, and, and let Adams feast, you know. I, yeah, Sneed, 
you know, it wasn't Aaron Rodgers, obviously. Jordan Love played last year when they played the Packers, but Snead played very well. And Ward, you know, you got to give Ward his credit too. But but Snead and Ward both played really well on Adams last year. Um, and and so maybe that you know sometimes maybe Snead's the one that plays on the outside, and 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 uh, McDuffie comes to the inside. But the other thing about the, the slot position too is it's a lot harder to learn um, because you know that receiver has a two way go. You don't have the sideline to help you when you're in the slot. Um, you have to play a little more run defense when you're in the slot naturally, just because you're closer to the line of scrimmage. And you know McDuffie again, he's not this big body. He's not this Snead type of body where he can play that where he can come in and make a huge tackle. I mean, we don't know yet what he's going to look like. Maybe he comes in and, and really proves himself in that phase of the game. But um, that's where maybe the slot position too gets a little. You know, you don't want to see him maybe in there too much just because of that as well. That'll be interesting. And also, I think the slot position has been redefined uh, yeah. over the NFL the last few seasons. You're not just seeing – you're not seeing the um, uh, Wes Welkers of the world as much right. in the slot anymore. You're seeing big players um, on the, in the slot. Uh, so that big slot is something to be reckoned with, and it's something that, that may lend itself to having Snead in there more so than McDuffie even. Uh, I, I do worry a little bit about McDuffie specifically versus bigger receivers. I think he might get out jumped a little bit here and there, uh, but he'll hold his own from a physical standpoint and from a speed standpoint. Uh, and so I think from what Spagnolo expects and what he's able to get out of his guys, you know, you can, you can do a lot with McDuffie's skill set, um, but there could just be some of those times where he just gets out jumped and you just got to live with that. Yeah, and and it happened last year, and and you know we all like to blame the third and twenty-seven that you know the, the Bengals getting that first down and scoring, you know, for the game. But you know, a lot of those times it, it did work, and Spags' confidence in his cornerbacks, you know, it did work, and and you kind of just have to live with the times it doesn't work, right? Because you are trusting your players, and those players do you know build up confidence when you're you know you're trusting them to ha- be on that island. Um, but Tyler did have another question too. And it's that, you know, we're staying in the secondary with this question. And it's what's your confidence level one through 10 that the 22 version of Reed Thornhill will be better than the 21 version of Matthew and Thornhill. Obviously just saying, you know, the safety duo, you know, will we, can we expect a better performance? You and I have talked about, you know, the Reed Matthew direct, you know, comparison, you know, and, and the way Matthew, you know, the career, his career ended in his Kansas city tenure ended I mean, I'd say Reed. You can probably expect maybe some better play there, and I think Thornhill. You know, if he's if he's really feeling the best he has in in a few years, I mean, I think you can expect a better uh, duo. You know, playing duo than than what you had at safety last year. Am I wrong there? No, I, I, I've got maybe more of a cynical view of this here. <laughs> in a rewatch that I did, I was surprised at how unimpressed I was with Tyron Matthews' play last year. And, and I don't mean that to take anything away from his legacy or whatever, but when there was talk about him being allowed to walk and not even given a, a contract offer, I could maybe see some on-field reasons for that. We'll just say it that way. Thornhill, as we know, had his struggles uh, last year, uh, wasn't the same guy. So, so yeah, I mean, I feel actually – probably eight or a nine out of one to 10 on, on this question, because I I'm very confident in Justin Reed. I do think uh, Thornhill is going to be an improvement over Thornhill last year. And, and again, I, I was less than impressed with Tyron Matthews play only when I went back and rewatched it uh, and saw some of the things that, 
some of the breakdown, some of the, you know, maybe perceived lack of hustle or uh, business decisions that, that, that came out there. You know, I think these young players are going to be flying around a little bit and uh, really taking that leadership role on themselves instead of waiting to see what Tyron Matthew tells them to do. I'm hoping these players are ready to take the reins, uh, play faster without thinking uh, and, and, and have their own brand of leadership and their own style of play. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really confident this group's going to be better than those two were last year, just on the field, just from what I saw. Yeah. And to get a little nerdy real quick. I mean, I, I, I do think, uh, you know, Thornhill has been the free safety and Matthew has been the strong safety uh, within the Stags defense last few years. And honestly, you know, I, I think we, we saw Thornhill's athleticism and how that could translate to him being that good, uh, you know, middle of the field, deep safety at times, you know, covering the back end. You know, I, I really do think, though, as time has gone on, it does seem like he's developed more into kind of more of a thumper, more of a kind of box safety type, I think, a little more than being on the back end. And I think Reed's um, skill set, his strengths are playing as more of the back end, like covering everybody's butt, you know, behind you know, in, in terms of either a, 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 you know, middle of the field safety or a cover two safety and Thornhill, maybe a better strong safety. And so maybe without Matthew being that more of that strong safety close to the line of scrimmage, maybe Thornhill gets more of that role. Maybe he's better in that role. You know, he's a bit, he's, he's, he's not, he's, he's a pretty big body. You know, honestly, he, he can lay the wood. He's forced some fumbles. And, and again, uh, Reed's strengths are in the back end anyway. And, 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 you know, Reed can come up and Thornhill has experience in the back end, so they can be more versatile too, but Maybe primarily Thornhill's a better strong safety, and maybe that you know makes we get the best out of him in that case. So I'm I'm excited to see for sure. Well, Z-Man at Josh underscore Zalistra on Twitter. The Chiefs win the Super Bowl because of blank. And he qualifies this by saying non-Mahomes answers only. So, Ron, what is your non-Patrick Mahomes reason why the Chiefs might win the Super Bowl this year? It's easy for me, man, because um, offense still wins. Offense is still the king of the NFL. It's how, you, you know, defense, it, it, the saying's defense wins championships, but, uh, you know, we know it's offense. And it's the offensive line, man. The offensive line dominates. That's how the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. And the offensive line dominates, and it's also given plenty of opportunity to dominate. Um, and, you know, it's not – I think one thing we've talked about over and over, we'll get into, you know, on the second half of the show – is I think the run game could be a little more impactful. And I think one way is to trust the offensive line to carry you at times a little more than they have in the past. And I think that's one way the Chiefs could win the Super Bowl this year is really letting their offensive line be dominant uh, more than they have in the past. Yeah, um, for me, this is – we talked about it before. Like, this just – like, going to be a good organization. Like, you're not going to mess this up. And – uh, I, I think if you get hit having to pay him a top five salary at tackle, which that has jumped up in a major way, which you will have to if you don't if you don't get him signed, like that's a mistake. You can't move that money around. Like that is a flat hit of twenty something plus million that you can't do nothing with, as opposed to signing him long term and you can move it around. Is that off? Is it twenty something? I feel like that's the average of of what uh, I believe it's around there. Let me double yeah, check. It's in the twenty. It's in the twenties. Like this is a high. I mean, I would think around twenty four, twenty five million. That is a a flat. Uh, maybe maybe not that much. Around between twenty and 
23 million, I would imagine, is around that hit. Um, but I mean, you're I mean, you can't move anything, you can't move that around. That that is going to be on the books right it's there. 16.6 million. So okay, well, a little a little under that. Wow, um, way off. Um uh so 16 million, 16, 17 million dollars. I'll just take it up. 16, 17 million. Like that is that is a flat fee steal that you can't move around. Um, that you uh, that you're you're stuck with right there, at that amount, uh, as opposed to signing him to a new deal. And hell, I mean, we look at Cleveland. Hell, they only Deshaun Watson's only one million dollars on the books this year. They can move stuff around uh, with that money to to help with the cap situation. And for me, sort of, it's this isn't about. Uh, about all right, man. You traded for him. You gave up assets, so sign him. And and those things did happen, and 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 which I think is why he's in the driver's seat. And we've talked about before. But but sort of this is about this is about Patrick Mahomes, and not just on the field protecting Patrick Mahomes. This is about can we not piss off Patrick Mahomes? Can we not get to a point where Patrick Mahomes at any level? thinks at all i wonder if these guys know exactly what they're doing i wonder if these guys are putting me in the right position right as i still think right now he does he's fine with it and we know that patrick mahomes you know did his contract in a way where the chiefs are able to do things and be able to sign other people right because if we look at the offseason right now he already lost arguably his favorite weapon and Tyreek Hill, but Tyreek Hill, you know, is on some, some stuff to where, you know, maybe you can make it make sense and you can make it make sense to Pat. All right, let's, this is what we got. We got five draft picks. We'll be able to rebuild it. We still, you know, we can still do stuff, but man, you start losing Tyreek Hill and man, you start losing his left tackle, his pro bowl left tackle. And he's not an idiot. He understands what you did and what you gave up to get him there. Like the last thing you want to do, and I've said this, I remember we talked about this when we were on the air in Kansas City, when when Aaron Rodgers was going through this thing, and you could tell it felt like the Packers were just doing things that you don't do to a franchise quarterback that could piss him off. And I think has led the Packers down the road of is he or is he not and all of this weird stuff because they haven't handled business right. Like you want to avoid doing that with Patrick Mahomes. And, man, if you do silly things and you become cheap and you don't offer things that you should offer to a guy like Orlando Brown, you start to just you start to just raise questions in the mind, I believe, of Patrick Mahomes of like what, what like what are these cats doing? Like I didn't lose I didn't lose heel like we couldn't get that done. And now I'm going to lose my left tackle or, or at least be in limbo because, you know, if you don't sign him right now, the price is going to go up. It's going to go up next year. And what are you going to do? Franchise him again? Well, we learned from Dak. Now it goes up even higher. And then the like it's going to be more smart teams. And Patrick Mahomes is not a dumb player and a dumb person. And smart teams don't put themselves in this position. I just think this is about Patrick Mahomes and avoiding for the Chiefs relationships to start turning into what it was for the Packers and Rodgers to where Mahomes starts questioning, hey, man, what are these dudes doing? Like, how in an offseason can we get – like, I've restructured my contract in a way where we can get a bunch of guys in. And how the hell am I losing Tyreek and then we can't get Orlando Brown done? 
Like, and, and I think you run the risk of that. Yeah. And uh, the issue that usually comes up with these kinds of things is the guaranteed money. That That's usually what the biggest decider is when it comes to negotiation, because as we know, like NFL contracts, like, you sign a five-year extension, it's probably like a three-year deal. Like the, those things, we just don't see the end of contracts in the modern-day NFL. It's just not something that happens anymore. But it it's usually has to do with the guaranteed money. And the reporting from earlier this week was that they're far apart on a long-term deal, and it's not looking great. But that's kind of standard in the NFL, like negotiating tactic is – one side leaks, oh, we're way apart on the deal. We're not close. We're not going to come to a long-term deal before the deadline on Friday. And you leak that, put some pressure on the team to try to get a deal done. And supposedly Orlando Brown wants to be the highest paid left tackle in football, and he wants to reset the market, and the Chiefs aren't willing to do that. Well, that's what he should always ask for, right? That's why in any position player, if you're good at what you do and you're in a, in a high-demand position – you should ask to be the highest paid player at your position. I don't believe that Orlando Brown thinks that he's better than Trent Williams and deserves more money than Trent Williams. He does. He, he he's just simply, I, I mean, he's simply not that kind of player. He might think it. <laughs> he's the best option that the Kansas city chiefs have. And I still think that it, it's going to come down to, you know, maybe the chiefs are offering to make him the, the fifth highest paid tackle in football. And he wants to be the number one highest paid tackle in football. Well, you come in the middle and of so it. The common ground is what I've been saying all off season. You got to make him like the third highest paid left tackle in the sport. Um, like like you, you can't give him Trent Williams money because I don't think he's that good, but you're going to have to pay him if you want to keep him around or he's just going to have to play under the tag this year, which was always going to be a possibility. That is just a bummer because if he winds up playing under the franchise tag, it kind of hinders what the chiefs can do. So if you were hopeful for a Robert Quinn trade, if Orlando Brown plays under the tag, it, they're not going to no. have much yeah. room to operate, to try to pull off a deal like that because they're just simply not going to have the cap space for it. No. I, and that's, that's the thing, but you, and that's the part and why I keep harkening back to, how this affects Mahomes, not just protecting him on the field. Obviously, we all know that you you want your left tackle because the options, um, uh, you know, are, are, are limited down the. I mean, down the down the line. But you you made this deal, and you made this deal, and you knew when you made this trade that Orlando Brown, if he played well and if he is voted to the Pro Bowl, then that's an element that shows he played well that he was going to have some bit of leverage. And he's got leverage. And you knew, like, I'm going to have to bite the bullet on this. But we all felt it made sense, right? Because the need for that was so large. You could argue and tell yourself you lost the Super Bowl because that position was so bad. And you had to make drastic measures to fix that. And they did it. They went out and paid Joe Tooney. They went out and drafted uh, Creed Humphrey and, and drafted uh, Trey out of Tennessee. Like they revamped their entire offensive line. And then this was the other missing piece. And this is the most important position on that, that line. And you got, you knew, you knew when it happened. And I go back to this Patrick Mahomes is not stupid. He knew it too, Serta. He knew. They all knew that when they made that deal, 
they're going to have to sign him because it won't make sense you trading first-round picks to, to go, uh, you, you know, trading first-round picks to not sign him long-term. And don't try to push off no, hey, you know, we got these picks in Tyreek's deal, so now, you know, we made up for those. No. No, man. You got you got Patrick Mahomes right now. I just think even as much as it is to have Orlando Brown and have Patrick feeling comfortable that his left tackle is a Pro Bowl level guy that's protecting him, it's even more down the line. You just don't ever want Patrick Mahomes to question in his mind, am I in the right place? Am I in the space where these guys are making the right decisions? Am I in the space where Andy Reid and Brett Veach are guys that I can be cool with that will have what you know will put me in the best position because I'm helping you I'm helping you with the way I'm doing my contract am I in that you just never want Mahomes to question it like we've seen Rodgers do it I don't understand the arguments that I'm seeing from Chiefs fans like just put Tooney there or or just or just roll the dice with Andrew Wiley and hope that Darian Kennard and Lucas Niang who is eventually healthy can you know, give, give you something at right tackle. Like we already saw this. We already played this game where it cost them a Super Bowl. And I still think that uh, a Chiefs with a healthy offensive line were better than that Tampa Bay team. But they, that offensive line was totally dismantled. And you're saying, OK, well, it's one player. Well, the way you capitalize on the fact that you have Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith on these rookie contracts and making no money is by paying Joe Tooney and paying your left tackle and locking up those spots. And now you've got these guys too locked in for at least a couple of more years at a low price tag. And all of a sudden four out of your five positions on the offensive line are solidified for the near future. And then we'll see what they have in Kennard. I like Kennard as a prospect and I think that he's got a good chance at being their starting right tackle. We'll see the way that that goes. And if it does go over well, then all of a sudden you're talking about one of the best offensive lines in football. And that's with Orlando Brown without Orlando Brown. You have question marks about the offensive line again. And in a season where, you're trying to figure out what you have and all these young guys that you've added to the defense. You have some serious questions at pass rush uh, with Frank Clark and George Karloftis and no other depth outside of them. And then you're trying to figure out what life is like without Tyreek Hill. You need a lot of help. You need, you need a lot of things and variables that you can control as opposed to the variables that you have question marks about. And the variables that you can control are along the offensive line. So you should want to minimize the amount of opportunity that this thing could fall apart. And that's the way you do it. You just sign him or you make him play under the franchise tag. He's not going to hold out. I, I, I don't need to see any more about that. Like there's uh, under no circumstances he holding out this season. He's going to play under the franchise tag. Maybe he holds out into training camp or whatever. But he will show up eventually, and he will play for the Chiefs this season. It's just a matter of you already put the resources in, and why would we want to go through this again? Just give the man his money. Figure out a common ground that, that you guys can agree on when it comes to guaranteed money, years, and total amount, and whatever. And let's just get this done so we don't have to worry about the offensive line for a few more years. Listen, man, you're going to walk through a door of either stupid that's going to cost you a lot more in the in the long run or just keep you at square one or as you said just bite the bullet and it makes more sense 
to just bite the bullet because one door is stupid. And that door is stupid is if he pay, plays under the franchise tag, as you said, which handcuffs your ability to be able to uh, to make other moves and will enhance his leverage. I'm going to tell you what right now. This offense with Patrick Mahomes, this crew, Orlando Brown is not going to have a bad season. Like I mean, I, I, mean, I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to be an all pro. Then you're really screwed. But Orlando Brown is probably going to have a similar season, if not a bit better. Now he's used to it and, and, and used to playing with those guys. And that means, and why I say the door of stupid, one stupid to be stuck with 16, 17 million at a flat rate that you can't move. And then second with that is his leverage is going to enhance because he knows you don't want to franchise tag him a second time because it goes up even more than it was this year. Or you're going to have to sign him to a long-term deal, which you will because he'll have a good season. And that's going to go up more than what you would have to sign him right now. And his leverage will go up. And then he might be talking about the top in the game. He may be pushing that because the leverage is even higher. Because then if you go further down the world of stupid, which is past flat rate, this is past having to pay him more than you'd have to pay him right now, then are you willing to just say bye to him and then buy to him after franchise tagging him and paying him that money on the one-year rate and giving up the draft ass- assets that you gave up to get him to now start over again? No, you're not willing to do that. So do and get the deal done by 3 o'clock today so you don't have to go through the door in different stages of stupid. I understand the Damn, hesitation. <laughs> I understand the hesitation a little bit because you don't, you know, Chiefs fans don't believe that he's, you know, one of the three best left tackles in football. And I don't really believe that. But what you can't have if you have Patrick Mahomes, if you have this offense, if you have Andy Reid, you can't have him be a liability. We already saw what that looked like in a Super Bowl. It, it's it's simple to me. Orlando Brown is good enough that he is not a liability at left tackle. Like, you know, he's good enough to get you where you need to go with the other guys along that offensive line. So you just got to figure it out and you got to pay him long-term. It's, it's just the way these things go, unless you have a better option and the chiefs aren't close to having a better option. And, and, and the part that gets me is I don't know why we would think Orlando Brown at 26 years old, isn't an ascending player. Like it, like to think like, this is the level that he's going to be. Right, and if he is this level, I think this is a better version of Eric Fisher, which you won a championship with, if he just doesn't get any better. But he's 26 years old. This is, this. I mean, you think about it, Serta, you know this. This was a hell of a transition for him to go to the offense that he was in in, in Baltimore and what he was asked to do there compared to what he was asked to do here. And he got better as the season went on, you would hope and think at 26 he gets more used to this and that he gets better. So I'm not sitting here thinking about – it's like right now I think he is is easily an above-average offensive tackle in this league. Thank which you, is shown Fisher. By, which he's is shown – and, and I think better because he's a better run blocker. And I, and it, much better. And I, and I think right now he's an above-average at 26. Like I, I, I think there is a step he can take being in this offense and being used to it more. So – 
I, I just uh, like the thought of this is as good as Orlando Brown is going to be is silly. I think it's a good investment too, and 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 not just a good investment, but an investment you have to make. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Welcome back in to the Arrowhead Pride interview series. I am Steven Serta, continuing our chats and previews as we try to get to know some of these new Chiefs draft picks as we get closer and closer to 2022 training camp. And we're very happy to be joined here on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network today by defensive coordinator and secondary coach at Georgia Southern University, Will Harris. Uh, Will spent the last four years coaching the Washington Husky secondary before moving on to Georgia Southern. Will, mm-hmm. we're very happy uh, to have you on the Podcast Network today, and we're very thankful for your time uh, just Chatting with us about new Chiefs first-round cornerback Trent McDuffie. Um, how, how we doing today, first of all? I'm doing great, man. I'm blessed. I can't complain. Fan- fantastic. <laughs> uh, that's what we love to hear. Um, so I, I wanted to talk to you and, and try to get to know mm-hmm. Trent a little bit uh, before we get into training camp, like I already mentioned. So what what's one thing you'd tell Chiefs fans they need to know about Trent before they get a, their first chance to see him in action once we get into training camp later on this month? Yeah, I would just say ultra competitive man and just relentless. Um, ever since even the first day he stepped foot at Washington, I just knew it was something special about him. He would always be in my office wanting to learn and watch tape and just go over techniques and watch all the former guys that came before him. But I would just say, man, ultra competitive um, and just relentless out there on the football field. And and you mentioned the first day you saw him out on the football field. I actually wanted to ask you about that. Like what, what did Trent show so early on that you guys as coaching staff knew like, okay, we got to get this guy on the field, even as a true freshman in the PAC 12. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just his instincts. Um, even when I went and saw him at, in high school, um, when he had transferred to Bosco, he really only played corner for one year, to be honest with you guys. And so it was kind of like seeing this kid who was kind of a running back. That's what he played in high school. And then it's like when we watched him on the field, we were like, man, he's just naturally sticky um, in coverage. And so when we seen him as a freshman at Washington, it was kind of one of those same deals, man. He just picked up on the defense so quickly. And um, obviously just his skill set took over. But I would say, man, we saw in the first game, it was uh, Hawaii, was, which is, it was his first start as a freshman. And then we were like, yep, can't take him off the field. <laughs> and so right after that, man, he just took off. And um, the next game after that was BYU. And he, he showed why he was a starter. 
And, you know, the Chiefs have kind of notoriously, under general manager Brett Veach, avoided taking corners uh, high in the draft. So I, I right. think it says a lot to Trent's talent that they were willing to trade up for him. Like, they knew, yeah. we got to go get that player. Um, but Washington is never short on putting guys into the NFL. Like Washington's a very talented program. That's always had NFL talent. And especially in the DB room uh, who've come out over the last several years, you guys have had multiple guys who have made an impact in the NFL. Can you speak to what uh, you think Trent maybe learned from those guys and what helped him throughout his collegiate career to get him ready for the NFL? Yeah. I mean, you know how it is when you have a ton of tape and, guys with experience that you can just watch um, tape over and technique wise and keeping that continuity, man. Um, I thought that was huge. Just always making sure that we're, you know, the guys can see how it was done with the former guys that were there, uh, Buda Baker, Sidney Jones, Kevin King, those guys of that nature. Um, And just, you know, them learning off all that tape um, and just keeping it going. Now, those guys that watched and get to watch Trent McDuffie, um, and see how it was done. And so I was just keeping that thing going in that way. I think one of the biggest things that stood out to me uh, about Trent is a player when I kind of started diving into his tape and a- after the Chiefs drafted him, I was like, okay, I really got to I, I gotta learn about this guy and see what they're getting yeah. in him. Uh, I think one of the biggest things that stood out to me was his aggressiveness. And right. NFL fans tend to get a little worried when they look at a cornerback who just got taken in the first round and see like he's listed at 5'11". But Trent doesn't play like he's 5'11". Like he plays like he no. is a lot bigger than that. He's not afraid <laughs> to bang with a wide receiver off the line of scrimmage. Like has he yep. just has he always been that aggressive? Has has that been something that he he's always brought to the football field? Yep, I think that was one of the biggest things that we saw about him was even though you know a lot of people knock corners for not wanting to tackle, our guys know man when you come at when we were at Washington. That you you got to be physical, man, and that's one of our traits that we look for in our corners. But yeah, man, no, I would say Trent is very aggressive. I mean, he's not scared to put his nose in there. Um, he's got really good ball skills, which I can't wait for you guys to kind of see. Um, we got short a season, so it's kind of like you guys didn't get to see much of him. He's only played there for two and a half years, to be honest, and um, he's still like haven't even touched his potential of what he can become. Um, but no, I'm excited about that, man, because like it is impressive that they haven't been taking a lot of corners, obviously, like you spoke of. But one thing I'll say of getting in him is he can play all multiple positions in the back end. It's just we were fortunate to have another guy on the other side of him um, that we can move around. And Trent, we just put on their best receiver and he just locked him down. Um, but he's played nickel for us. He's played safety for us. So I know for a fact, man, he could, he's going to be able to go in there and play all five positions in the back end. And I think Chiefs fans are really going to appreciate the fact that he's not afraid to lay a hit on an opposing offensive player uh, from the cornerback position. And, you know, you you mentioned his aggressiveness in the way you guys were able to just put him on one side of the field and have him lock an opposing wide receiver down, like just from an individual attribute perspective, like what would you say stands out the most? Is it his aggressiveness? Is it his, his hand fighting? Is it is it his yes. footwork? Um, I, w- I would just say more so technique overall. Uh, I'll, everyone always talk about, hey, man, you guys have some impressive stats of being the number one pass defense and all that stuff in the country. Well, we took pride in when we were there as a whole unit, and Trent will tell you this, is we didn't have one pass interference last year. We had a holding penalty 
um was with some other stuff but we never had a, a pass interference that whole year last year so that was pretty impressive like even though he's very aggressive and bump and run he's able to play with great technique and you already mentioned how you know hungry he was and how he he was right. from from day one just I, I gotta i gotta watch film i, I got i gotta get in here and i gotta study these guys so i can compete like the mental aspect in the NFL obviously is a jump from college to the pros and specifically yeah. Chiefs defensive coordinator Steve Spagnolo likes to put those corners out on out on an island and you already mentioned mm-hmm. that you guys did that with Trent like do you see obviously there's going to be a, a learning curve there and, and some growing pains as there always is when you come into the NFL but yeah. like with that ceiling do you think that the Chiefs from day 1 like they're going to be able to put him out there and say okay we need yeah. you to just go one on one with these with these fantastic mm-hmm. wide receivers in the division Yep and I I mean one thing about Trent is he's smart man like I said he he gets it he figures things out like you can throw him out there and he'll figure it out um, but one thing he's going to take a lot of pride in, like I said, he's ultra competitive, but he's going to make sure that he understands the scheme. He understands his technique. Um, and I will say this to everyone that always asks me about him. He, he's a pro. He came in as a pro with the pro mindset. All he needed was, all right, teaching the techniques, teaching the scheme. The rest he's going to take care of, man, and um, he's going to figure it out. And so that was one of the most impressive things about him was he's a pro. And so I tell people that all the time. You're getting a pro. He's already pro made. Yeah, and I think when I was kind of diving into Trent, that that seemed to be a, a common theme amongst amongst evaluators, amongst other coaches that you talk to. Like, oh no, this guy is pro ready. Like, this guy has the attributes to be a number one cornerback out of the gate if you need him to be. Right. And the Chiefs definitely have a hole there in in their secondary that he can step right in and play for them right away. Um, I know coaches don't love making comparisons, and this is the last thing for me, Will. Um, but Chiefs fans love comparisons, so I, I got to ask, is there a player, past or present, who you think Trent's game reminds you of? Yep, it's so interesting, man. We always kind of – those two people that we, we broke down, and he'll tell you this, um, Stefan Gilmore and um, uh, Tyron Matthew. And so it's really interesting that, obviously, the Chiefs took him there. Uh, but – I know one thing, man, he has a knack for the ball. Um, his freshman year, he forced four fumbles, and he just has that knack for the ball. So I would say that would be one of the two guys that um, that I would say I'll compare him to just off tape-wise. But, I mean, he's he's unique and within himself, man. I wouldn't really compare him just because I know for a fact he wants to go make a name for himself in this league, man, and I think he will. He's going to do a great job. Yeah, uh, we're, we're really excited to see Trent take the field in training camp up in St. Joseph, Missouri here in a little over a month. Uh, very excited to see how he steps into his role in the secondary. But again, he's Will Harris. He's defensive coordinator and secondary coach for Georgia Southern University. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule today, Will, to join us here on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. And we wish you and Georgia Southern nothing but uh, luck in the upcoming season. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. You guys have a good one. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. 
Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.